Hello, and welcome to the Cynical Podcast, where we take deep dives into the shallow waters of today's star-studded films, blockbuster movies, and most hyped popcorn flicks. We're your hosts, Will, Malika, and Klesia, and today we'll be discussing Disney Pixar's new movie, Onward. Podcastium Beginium! <laughs> yes! Well... Thanks for joining us again, everyone. We're back after a long break. So, onward. Our story begins on Ian Lightfoot's 16th birthday. Ian is an elf living in modern times facing modern problems. In a fantasy world that used to be filled with magic, Ian is stuck in a typical teenage malaise. While searching for his place in the world, Ian juggles school, his relationship with his eccentric brother, Barley, and the hole in his life that was left by his late father, who he never got a chance to meet. When their mother presents Ian and Barley with a gift by their father after his death, they discover that Ian has the power of magic and a chance to bring back their dad for one full day. After the spell goes wrong midway through, they take off on an adventure to find a phoenix stone that powers a spell to bring back their dad before the 24 hours have passed. During their quest onward, they encounter dungeons, dragons, and they discover what Ian has been looking for was right in front of him all along. First impressions of Onward, what did you think? Disney Pixar's newest movie since, what was their last one? Coco? Um, oh, I guess Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4 yeah. would have been the most mm-hmm. recent one. So, most recent new edition since Coco. What are your guys' thoughts? I liked a lot about this movie, but I don't know if I love it. So this is a movie that I wasn't originally super excited about when I saw the teaser trailer. It really didn't capture my imagination in the way that I expected it to, considering it's a movie about these fantastical creatures, elves and dragons and manticores and whatnot. But as I saw the the next trailer and then honestly just seeing the movie itself, I was totally on board. I thought there was a lot of heart. I'm also a sucker for any movie that's about siblings and their relationship growing as they get older. So I really appreciated a lot of the themes in this movie. Yeah, going into the movie, when I saw the trailer as well, my first impression was this looks like a DreamWorks movie, not a Pixar movie. Like Bird. more like Shrek, right? I, yeah. It's true. I mean, exactly. After all of the quality that Pixar has put out, like super original, just the whole concept of, oh, it's a fantasy world, but set in today. That just seemed like such a DreamWorks animation story to me and not a Pixar movie. And kind of unfortunately... A lot of the plot points along the way until we get to really the meat of the story, which only comes in the last 30 minutes, it felt like that while watching it as well. I was discussing with Klesia earlier that the plot points did feel like a DreamWorks movie, but all of the connective tissue between each of those major events were totally Pixar along the way. So you got that strength in Pixar emotion and writing and bringing the characters along, but the story itself felt like a DreamWorks movie, which to me is a definite notch down from standard Pixar. I saw the trailer so many times, having seen other movies over the last few months, and every single time, I just thought, meh. I was like, I don't really care. I wasn't particularly excited. And even kind of going into the theater, I was like, I'm sure this will be fine, but I wasn't really expecting much. And I do think it surpassed the very low expectations that I had for it. But I definitely agree with you, Will, that it kind of felt like, a movie that Pixar would only make now because it seems like they've been in a, not a rut necessarily, but 
I don't know if it's partially to do with joining with Disney, but I feel like they've lost a little bit of that spark, which is weird to say because we all have seen Inside Out and loved Inside Out. But I don't know. It just it seems to me like they're trying to do something different for the sake of just doing it. And I was like, just stick to what you're good at. Stick to being Pixar. I mean, Inside Out was five years ago now. That's holy crap. That's was it? I, yeah, that's a chunk of change. And even Coco, which was I think the next one right after it was like Inside three years Out. Ago. Yeah. Yeah. That to me kind of felt like it had the backing of kind of the older Pixar feel behind it. Yeah, like those creative minds. Right. Let's pick that apart a little bit. Like what would you say classifies a true Pixar movie and what to you is a true DreamWorks movie? Because I don't necessarily think that being like a DreamWorks movie is bad. Like I've enjoyed several of them. I mean, the one that comes to mind that I like the most is the original Shrek. And there's some parts of the sequels that are enjoyable as well. And Pixar, like their thing from the get-go, right, was – Let's take something that people never give that much attention to. What is the secret life of toys, the secret life of bugs, the secret life of cars, right? The monsters in your closet. After a certain point, you run out of ideas like that that are obvious, right? They had to go to the emotions in your head. That's super cool. But after a certain point, you like, there aren't things that you want to go to. You can't do vegetables. There's already veggie tales, right? So they have to be able to tap into new areas and... I still thought it had the heart of a Pixar movie and just took it a new direction. You know, for me, Pixar is really that the motion, you know, nostalgia and just bringing people together. That is Pixar to me. And all the other stuff outside of it is just like whatever comes out of the minds of the creators at the time. And that didn't bother me at all. So would love to hear why you guys think that this wasn't quite Pixar and what you define as these movies like main core. I think Pixar, what they do really well is they tell unique stories with unique themes in ways you would have never expected. When you look at The Incredibles, it's the story about a family and kind of the everyday struggles that a family faces, but with an atypical family or probably my favorite Pixar movie, Ratatouille. It's about overcoming your natural life obstacles that may face you to chase after your dreams in the adversity of, you know, maybe your family or outward pressures from your family. Like that's what Ratatouille is about, but they just use a rat in a restaurant as the vehicle to take that story along. Same with Wally. It's a movie about environmentalism, but they say, okay, we can tell the story about environmentalism with robots in the future, which is something few studios would ever think of. Whereas to me, Onward is, first of all, it's a story about coming of age by Ian Lightfoot, which, you know, it's kind of the most standard, what's a theme of a movie we can pick? It's coming of age. And then the other thing that feels very DreamWorks-y to me is what if we put X and Y situation, right? Like I think of right now, the first thing that's coming to the top of my head is that movie turbo it's like let's tell a racing story with snails and smash them together and it's like this is kind of a let's tell a coming of age story with fantastical stuff in modern day and smush it together that just doesn't really seem like pixar's mo i've been thinking a lot about this as you've kind of been talking will and i think 
the best way I can describe it is that Pixar movies, their settings are window dressing to the characters getting to the natural arc. Whereas this felt a little bit more like, but what happens if we put these characters in this setting and then just like, let's see what happens. It felt a little bit performative in that way of like the world building felt more relevant to the story than with most other Pixar movies. With Pixar movies, typically like Toy Story. When Toy Story first came out, no one needed to be explained. How are these toys communicating and what is the physiology and everything of like the toys and what is their place in the human world? It was just... These are characters, they happen to be toys, and the person who owns them is named Andy. I didn't need to know anything else about how any of this is supposed to work. I don't need to understand, like, does Andy realize that they can move? It's just, these are characters, and this just happens to be where they are, where I feel like this movie felt a little bit like all that setting and window dressing mattered a lot more to the machination of the plot. And I just personally feel like that's not typically what I would expect out of a Pixar movie. It's interesting that as I'm hearing you guys describe these other movies, you know, talking about a family, The Incredibles, right? Like a regular family, extraordinary circumstances. I would have said that about this movie. There's just the different descriptions you were making. I, I was like nodding along because I was like, I could have said that about this movie. And I get what you guys are saying. But at the same time, I think also I have in, the, in my head um, from reading an article that the story started out as the director. So this is sort of like my fun fact. We're getting to it ahead of time. But basically, the director was like, hey, I want to tell the story of how I, as a six-month-year-old baby, lost my father. And I had an older brother who was three years older. And I want to tell the story about one day maybe we could meet him. And what would that look like? In order for that to happen, magic would be required. And then around that, this magical world was built. So it's possible that I'm able to sort of see the heart of the story because I know that fact. And that's not fair necessarily to a regular viewer who doesn't know that going to the movie. I certainly did not know that before I saw the movie. But now that I do know that, I like have a very specific view of it. So some of my defensiveness around why I still think this movie has a lot of heart and a lot comes from that fact. And I think that's skewing my view. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Because I didn't know that either. So I definitely agree with you. It kind of changes my not like impression of the movie, but like my, the context in which I am viewing this movie. But I also, to your point, I think that's something that needs to be apparent on the screen and not necessarily something that has to be learned by reading an article, because I think that's part of what makes most of these Pixar movies really great. If you look at WALL-E especially, it's mostly a silent film. They're able to convey a lot of that emotional resonance with no talking whatsoever. So to me, I've seen from Pixar that they're capable of, of setting up that type of emotional stakes. And I just feel like maybe this movie rushed into it a little bit because if we start getting into like the actual structure of the story, the whole segment about the fantasy world took like five minutes and it was just like, oh, and then there was magic and then there was technology and then there wasn't magic and here we are. Like it just felt like I wanted to live in that world a little bit more to really understand it. And I feel like we were just dropped into that modern world and I'm expected to care about Ian, which I do because I feel like it was Tom Holland's performance that made me care, but not necessarily what the movie had actually said. But doesn't that go against what you were saying before about like not having a setup for Toy Story where they explain why or how the toys are talking to each other or some of the other movies like Incredibles where it's like you just accept that there are superheroes in this world. Same thing, like you're just meant to accept that this is the way it is, that there's technology and they give you a quick setup and then off you go. So in that sense, it feels very much the way the rest of the films are. 
Well, no, I think the biggest difference for me, too, if you compare it to even The Incredibles, is that the intro to The Incredibles that takes place, like, the 15 years before the setting of the movie involves the actual characters the story is about. So I am getting to know the personality of Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl and Frozone in that first five to ten minute segment because I'm getting time with them versus the intro montage in this movie was about these are past characters and none of them were even connected to the current characters. So, like, it was just, like, happened to be some elfish wizard's that they are focusing on are just like random characters that don't connect at all. So, I mean, maybe it's a little cheesy, but had it actually been like Ian Lightfoot's great, great, great grandfather, like, I don't know, it might've connected the dots a little more for me, but it just felt like here's a bunch of characters that experience this magical world. And now let's fast forward to the future. And this happens to be Ian. Yeah. And Malika, even to your point about they started the story with the question, what would it be like to grow up without a father who died right before you were born? In previous circumstance, I feel like they would have gotten to that question in a different way or in a more creative way. But on Onward, they kind of tell that story. What would it be like to grow up without your father by having a young boy who grew up without his father? Like kind of a direct one-to-one correlation rather than that kind of roundabout way that Pixar kind of brings you along to understand the story in kind of the previous works they've done. And then the other thing to go off of what Clacio was kind of getting at with the intro comparing the Incredibles and the intro of Onward, I agree that it makes a difference that in the Incredibles, you're learning more and more about the characters while they're explaining the world that's going on around them. Like something that felt uncharacteristic of Pixar in this movie to me is that so many of the plot points throughout the movie were just that they were just plot points that were used to move the story along. Whereas in my favorite Pixar movies, every single thing we see on screen, we're getting a deeper understanding of the main character's psyche or what they're going through. Not very often are they just using a plot point to just advance the story, which it felt like a lot of that was happening in Onward. Like so much of casting the spells and learning and flipping through the Magic the Gathering cards. And even when they were going to the Manticore's tavern, it just kind of felt like this is mostly just bringing the story along. And yeah, you take away some growth from the characters in those scenes, but it doesn't feel like it's as rooted in better understanding and better evolving the characters. It feels like the point of each of those scenes is to just move on to the next story beat. Yeah, I'd have to agree. You're right. This movie was definitely more plot driven than character driven, like some of the other Pixar movies. But as I said, I still really enjoyed it. And I think what I liked the most about it is that it was a story. It was a love story between two brothers wrapped in a love story about two sons and their father. And I love that. It always brings me back to Frozen. You know, I love the first Frozen where it's like a real a love story between two siblings, two sisters. And I find that really unique. And so it kind of felt like the male version of Frozen a little bit. I think also part of the reason I'm probably resonating with this film more than you guys is I think we all are big fans of Disney in general, but I like really grew up with Disney films. Like I think I love Disney films more than I love Pixar films, which I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but you could really feel the fact that Pixar is owned by Disney in this film because it definitely had a lot of the same elements that like your more recent Disney films have, you know, 
Tangled is kind of like on a quest. Frozen is on a quest. They all had a lot of the same elements. And so I think maybe that's why it's like hitting home a little stronger for me than it is with you guys. But anyway, enough on all that. Let's uh, get into some of the big themes of this film. I think we touched on some of them. What other themes did you guys have jump out at you? The theme of the movie that comes around in the end is that family doesn't necessarily need to be the typical family structure. And though there's a lot that is kind of presented in our society and in the world and in media about kind of the nuclear typical family, that you can still have that family bond and that family connection in kind of atypical ways. This might come up later in one of my things I would have changed or added, but Obviously, the key relationship in this family and in this story is between Barley and Ian. But obviously, for both of those young kids to turn out as great people, it took a lot from their mom as well as being a single mom. And there could have maybe been a little bit more tie-in. It just felt like there was something missing with Colt Bronco because, you know, he is introduced as their stepdad. He, like, comes over and... We see a little bit of him, but it felt like they could have played up that stepdad stepping in as kind of a father figure or not even necessarily father figure, but, you know, male role model more. Um, But it kind of was like there wasn't enough time, I guess. It's still a kid's movie. They're beholden to the typical animation short runtime. So that would have been hard, but I think there was definitely some space for that. Yeah. Another thing to consider, too, I don't know if you guys caught this, in the scene where Ian and Barley are pulled over by the cops, one of the cops that pulled them over is actually, like, in a same-sex relationship. And she mentions that, like, her girlfriend's daughter, like, drives her crazy. So, I mean, we know we give Disney a lot of crap, sometimes deservedly, about their lack of inclusion and representation in their films. But if they're trying in these, like, constant little ways to kind of normalize and pepper in the atypical family structure i'm all for that because i thought that was a nice little moment and i think even though maybe that wasn't as clear in the film that was probably a turning point of when like bronco gets reintroduced into the story and he's like chasing after the boys and he finds them and he's like hey your mom wants you safe and they're not necessarily like sick of Bronco or like they hate him. They just like, they realize that he cares, but he doesn't really get it. But then he, even though they run away from him in that instance and they run away from him again, he's still there for them at the end of the climax. And I think they realize that I feel like they didn't spend enough time showing all that stuff, all the different nuances between the relationship between Ian and Barley and Bronco, because obviously in the beginning, they're kind of making fun of him. They're like putting up fake mustaches and like whinnying the way that he does when he laughs. They don't necessarily like him 100%, but they don't hate him. They don't think he's trying to come in and replace the memory of their father. He's just like some guy to them. And I think the fact that he continues to pursue them and comes to their aid towards the end is what kind of changes that relationship. But I just feel like we didn't spend enough time there. I would have loved to have spent more time with the mom. I think the mom was a great character. Julie Lee Dreyfus voicing the mom, I think was fantastic. And all of her scenes are pretty much with the Manticore played by Octavia Spencer. And I feel like having her play off Ian and Barley and Tom Holland and Chris Pratt would have been a way better use of her talents. So if anything, I just feel like I love that this 
movie is all about family, but I wish we got to spend more with the actual mother and son relationships in there. I do love the mom and I love that she had a role in this. I think a lot of times the parents are side characters and they're barely introduced. So I really did like that she had a personality and then she did come to save the day at the end. Like she had an important role to play and I appreciated that. At the same time, the story at its core is about these two brothers finally understanding each other, coming together, realizing that they have a bond that is stronger than all the external things out there. And so they just it would have felt too crowded, I think, if we got a deep dive into each of the different relationships. If this were a series, yes, let's go to town. Let's have an episode just on the mom. I'm all about it. But if we want to stay true to like one core relationship, you have to just pick one. And they did a great job with that story of the brothers. I feel like I've been shitting on this movie a lot. I didn't hate it. I thought it was a good movie. It just wasn't up to like what I expect out of Pixar. But you're right. The core relationship between the brothers is what it was about. And I have to say, at the beginning of the movie, just watching as it was progressing, Barley, Chris Pratt's character, I was like, this guy is an awesome brother. Like, I thought that almost like... Instantly, Instantly. Anything Ian wanted to do, Barley was like, let's go do it. Like, you be the best you. Anytime Ian was like feeling down on himself, Barley was like, hey, come play this game with me. I'll pick you up from school. What do you want to do? He's in a bad mood. Exactly. Like... Every single time that Ian was kind of like struggling to get through something or down on himself, Barley was like, I'm here for you, bro. We're going to go do it, which became a focal point of the plot later on. But even when Barley, who was the older and to give credit to his character, was more experienced in this quest type behavior and he was saying hey my gut's telling me we go down this fearsome road or whatever it's called and ian was saying no this is the road straight to the mountain we got to take the interstate or the freeway and barley was like okay we can do that like he was the whole time totally agreeable super awesome brother and i thought that was really cool to see that even though they had their spat in the middle there you can see how it ended up being that the story was about how Barley was always there for him because throughout the story, he was always there for him and he always was making the right decision as a brother. And the other thing to add on to what you were saying, Will, is that he was the one who knew the most about magic and knew all the spells. And yet not for a second was he like, hey, why do you you have the magic ability and I don't? That really caught my attention because I was like, that is really generous, right? He's just all about, oh, wow, he's so proud of his younger brother and all he wants is to support him and help him reach his potential. And like that is so selfless and lovely. And their relationship was really special. And you don't actually see that very often between two brothers. And so I really thought that that was in addition to some of the other nods to diversity. I really appreciated that. Yeah, I completely agree. When Will and I were talking earlier that I mentioned, I was like, I love the fact that this is a story between two brothers and that they are supportive of each other. I mean, obviously, Ian's the younger one. and He has his insecurities and he kind of falters throughout the tale because, you know, it's understandable, right? He just learned that he has magic and that his father left this whole adventure for them so he can come back for a single day. It's a lot to process for a 16-year-old. But Barley's not that much older, right? Like, they kind of allude to that he's on like a gap year and he's only a few years older. So he's at most 19, maybe 20. And at no point in the story, like you said, does he hesitate to do whatever he thinks is best for Ian. 
even if he doesn't agree. And like, I agree as someone that has a big brother, I know Malika, you also have a big brother. I totally connected with that because it's like, it's, it's so invaluable having that person that it just has your back no matter what. And to me, that is like the saving grace of this movie and kind of like, well, like I feel like, yeah, I've been sort of talking about the things about this movie I didn't like, but I did enjoy watching it. And I think what makes it really stand out is the core of that relationship. And it's something I personally have not seen a ton in children's films. So to me, this is something that I think could stand the test of time. Yeah. And another big theme of this movie, you kind of touched on it was insecurity and Ian's insecurity. You know, something I actually love, I think it doesn't really count as a genre, but one of my favorite categories of movies is, even though I was kind of shitting on it earlier, is like the coming of age high school movie, (laughs) because I feel like every single person can relate to being in high school. And every single person can relate to the struggles of presenting yourself differently for people trying to fit in, moving from especially like that later high school age of like kind of more discovering who you are and moving on to the next stage of your life and where are you going in your life. And I love that. One thing I didn't love about kind of like the overarching theme of insecurity, I kind of don't like when movies set up an insecure character and obviously the story is going on. How does this character get over their insecurities? And the way they do it is by like learning a new fantastic ability that is like fundamentally different from who they are. Because like in this, Ian learns magic, which he becomes secure about, but like magic would be a super awesome, cool thing that he learned. And that's not like he's getting over his previous insecurities of who he was before. It's like he added on this new special ability that kind of vaults him over that insecurity or does it even really vault him over that insecurity does he kind of move past his insecurities of before i know that's kind of like semantics and i think if anything it actually it's barley that helps him get over his insecurities not the magic because barley is the one teaching him the magic like just having the magic was not a confidence boost for ian if anything he felt more overwhelmed and more out of his depth And if you kind of go back to a specific scene when they're going through the cliff, when there's like the big drop and he has to do the spell where it's like an invisible bridge, he doesn't believe in himself the first time and he has to have the rope. And if you really kind of break it down, like the rope is really his tether to Barley and without Barley being there, he would never have made it because he didn't believe in himself. And this is after he'd already done magic. He'd done so much magic at this point. I was actually kind of annoyed. I'm like, how can you not believe in yourself? You've done like three different spells spells my guy like just cast the spell and he's still not feeling it and it's more risk right he might plummet to his death i mean they were in a fire i mean that was pretty intense (laughs) fair enough i totally agree with you clay yeah i think you're right it was really barley the one that helps him over it i think this just comes back to potentially the magic almost being a bit of a fake out right like you think this movie is about the magic and it's about the magic of bringing the father back. That's how it's being advertised. It's not really advertised that much of a tale about brothers in the same way that I think Frozen's advertising made it pretty clear that it was a tale about these two sisters that didn't have parents. So I think maybe some of it is just the expectations of what you think this film is going to be about. is not really what it's about. And it truly is just like a story of these two brothers and of Ian learning to not just respect himself, but to have more confidence because of his brother constantly being there for him. And ultimately, like you can put that kind of plot or those characters in any scenario. It just happens to be in this magical world. But I think sometimes some of the magical stuff kind of overcrowds the fact that 
it's really, it's just about these two characters. Yeah, this is a conversation the three of us have had before and we're talking about earlier this week. Sometimes it kind of feels like world building can come at the expense of actual storytelling. It wasn't bad, it wasn't horrible, but it kind of happened a little bit in this movie where when you go into this world of fantasy beasts and then they're living in the modern day and then you throw on top of it the element of magic that you kind of have to explain, there's a lot of world building that goes into it that is required for it to make any sense. And then they were doing some additional world building on top of it of like, this is where the magic came from. This is what it was before. And, and when you do all this world building, you only have so much time to, you know, make a movie and write a story. And so sometimes that comes at the expense of some of this storytelling, which is kind of one of my other gripes with it. You know, I'm obviously spending a lot of time comparing it to old Pixar movies, but think of Wally. You're just kind of tossed in and you're like, it's a robot. He's on Earth and he's picking up trash and then all the humans are in space. You don't spend a whole lot of time trying to understand where did all this trash come from? How come they couldn't get rid of it? What happened to the humans? What was it like when they left? Why is he the only one left on planet Earth that's cleaning it up? Why are all the other robots dead? It's just like, okay, we're here. This is the story and we're rolling with it. And it did feel like they kind of spent a lot of time talking about, oh, the manicure, what it used to be like. This is what magic used to be like. This is what happened to the magic. Barley spending some of his time explaining the like Dungeon and Dragons type historical fiction, harping on the fact that it was a historical game, not a fantasy game. So I did feel it kind of spent a little bit too much time in world building for me. But I'm not a huge like world building type fan. I, I'm more I more care about like the meat of the story. Yeah, and then I mean, kind of connected to all that, it's one of the major through lines of this whole movie is the setting, right? It's the fantasy. It is the the meeting of fantasy with modern. It is quests and dragons and all that good stuff. So I definitely agree. I feel like it could have been done a little bit better, but I actually really did enjoy this like world that we were put in. It's something that. I personally would not have expected to like, especially having like we talked about the trailers and they didn't really garner much excitement. But I was pleasantly surprised by like, oh, this could actually be a really fun plat like milieu, if you will, like this place where you can just like, ooh, I wonder what kind of interesting characters and conflicts could be derived from having this modern fantasy clash. So I thought that was really cool. So Clay, obviously you and I have kind of a hot and cold relationship with this movie. We liked it. We didn't love it. But what was one thing that you found to be pitch perfect? So really surprisingly to me, I think the most pitch perfect part of this movie was actually Chris Pratt and his portrayal of Barley. I mean, obviously the character itself we all love and we've been gushing over Barley and how great of a brother he is. But I was really impressed with Chris Pratt's just acting ability. I mean, I think especially with voice acting, a lot of people don't realize how difficult it can be to convey complex emotions and all those types of things with just your voice and having the, obviously you have the benefit of brilliant animators at Disney Pixar to make it feel lifelike. But I think Chris Pratt hit all the right notes in being like really enthusiastic but being a little bit of a nerd and thinking he's kind of cool, but he's not really that cool and feeling hurt in the moments when Ian called him a screw up and he thought he was a screw up and he really felt like 
that was an emotional gut punch and just how selfless like he hit every emotional beat and i know chris pratt gets a lot of crap and deservedly so he is probably the least good of the chris's that should be no surprise to anyone uh shout out to chris evans the best chris but yeah i feel like chris pratt really stepped it up in this movie in a way that i've never seen him and to me without him this movie would have fallen really flat I agree with that, especially since this version of Barley really reminded me of Andy from Parks and Rec, to me is one of Chris Pratt's like best roles. Obviously, he got a start on Everwood and he was sort of like this jock, golden boy. But really, it was like Parks and Rec that brought his star up. And that is really like what he tapped back into. He wasn't this like leading man, suave, you know, character. He was just like, just fun loving, big heart, Farley. And I, I think that like that is his sweet spot for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I was going to say the same thing, Malika, where Chris Pratt at his best is this goofy, eccentric, lovable, heartwarming type of character. And that's why I haven't been a huge fan of Chris Pratt recently, like in the Jurassic World and in Passengers. He tries to be more of this kind of typical I don't even want to say your typical movie star because I feel like what he is in this movie can be your typical movie star. Heartthrob. Right. Yes, he's he trying to be, to be like the, the That's right. sexy guy on the motorcycle. Exactly. Yeah. Or like the serious actor. And I cannot take Chris That's Chris Pratt. Pine and Chris Evans' job, right? Exactly. Exactly. I cannot take Chris Pratt seriously as like the serious guy. It was even hard for me and I love like Guardians of the Galaxy star lord is character in that but even in the scenes where he does try to get like serious in that to me it's kind of like i'm having trouble like getting there with you but this character for him was like you said pitch perfect it was a great role for him yeah so will though if you had to change something about this movie if you made this movie what would that look like i think if i were to add or change something It would be one of two things. It would either be maybe a little bit more credit to the mom or maybe even Colt Bronco is kind of, you know, they went for the raised by my brother angle. Definitely not a bad angle and it totally worked. But also I think just the evidence was there in the movie that it was more of like a father by committee, if you will. All of them played a role in making Ian who he was. And so I think they could have hit on that a little bit more. And then the only other thing I would have done, and this may be a little bit selfish of me, but maybe at like a credits montage or at the end, you know, their father mentioned that they can do this spell once a year. So I would have maybe like put together a montage or just like photographs showing them in future years, like on that one day with their father or like going on their other adventures to find more Phoenix Stones just to take away the possibility of a sequel to this because like I'm really tired of Pixar doing sequels. I'm really afraid that they're going to be like the next adventure to find a Phoenix Stone and bring back their father. And it's like this story was self-contained. There doesn't need to be anything more. And kind of the same way that 22 Jump Street at the end kind of mocked the 23 Jump Street and 24 Jump Street and showing all the sequels, like just to take away the possibility, like, no, okay, this is the end. This is the story. There's nothing more outside of this. I didn't even catch that about the once a year. I'm trying to remember like the actual words of the spell. So Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Somebody fact check Will. (laughs) 
Yeah, I didn't catch that at all. Also, the way they had the manticore being like the phoenix stone and there's not that many out there. I feel like they kind of nipped that in the bud. Doesn't mean that they might not go on adventures for other stones to do other things. But I think the father storyline has come to a close. Guys, onward Thanos crossover? Collect all the stones? (laughs) Is that a possibility? Oh, love it. (laughs) And you already have Spider-Man and Star-Lord, so why not? Exactly. Wow. Uh, Disney, get at us, though. So, Malika, you mentioned that you have a fun fact. My fun fact is that um, I was reading about how Pixar films are made. And like most Pixar films, this one took a lot of different drafts before they got to the final story. And in early drafts of this, there actually was an antagonist, a bad guy. But eventually they like took that out because they realized that like there was enough going on with the quest that they were getting their own way. They didn't need a bad guy who was trying to stop magic from a world that was full of magic. So that's why they made the dragon as like the end bad guy. But he like was a soulless creature. It really didn't matter if he had a personality and whatnot. But so I thought that was super interesting because I didn't even think about that when I was watching the film. Like, oh, yeah, who's the antagonist? That didn't even cross my mind until I read that. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because I, like you, did not even really kind of note that at all when I saw the movie. But I really like that choice because it kind of makes the conflict of this movie mostly internal and mostly driven by the individual characters and their actions versus some random external factor that they have to somehow battle and overcome, which I thought that is more thematically in line with what this movie is about. So that's really cool. Yeah. Awesome decision by the writers. Cause I mean, we don't know what it would have been like cause it wasn't there, but I can't imagine that it would have helped the story in any way. I love that decision to not have the bad guy. That's awesome. So now it is time for the JB smooth award. For those of you who might be newer to our podcast, the JB smooth award is originated from when we did our review of Spider-Man far from home. And it just felt like JB smooth's character was completely unrelated to the rest of the movie. Totally did not fit in that movie and could have completely been taken out. So if we were to give a JB smooth award to this movie, what do you guys think? Who does it go to? I mean, there's honestly not a lot. As much as we complain about this movie being a little bit clunky in some areas, I think it's fairly tightly plotted. But you can probably almost take away a lot of the high school stuff. Like, I guess you have to show Ian going to the science club friends and invite him to the party and choking. I almost feel like it wasn't even necessary because he'd already made himself a checklist that morning of things to do. And he'd failed at like three different things. So like, I don't see him failing at a fourth thing being required. But that's even a stretch to be honest like i think that most of the plot beats while there might have been too many they didn't linger and nothing really felt like it was too bombastic or anything like that so i'm struggling to think of what this could be yeah if anything i would say maybe the manticore she once again was kind of what we hit on earlier she kind of just felt like she was there to move the plot from A to B. She spent most of her time with their mom. And instead of bringing anything new from her mom, even in the movie, her mom was kind of dismissive of the manticore the whole time. Like, like, yeah, focus. Like, what are you doing? Shut up. Shut up. Just tell me what I need. There wasn't a whole lot there. And then maybe the biker pixies. Yeah. I kind of like them. They're kind of cute. They were kind of cute. They they came up like two two times. I was like, I didn't love them. It was fine. Mm -hmm. So... Good on you, Onward, for not having really a J.B. Smooth award. That's a good sign for a movie. I think this is the first time we have failed to award a J.B. Smooth recipient. So that should be some sort of a special accolade. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, 
I will throw my weight behind the manticore only because I wonder if Octavia Spencer hadn't been cast. They would have just like let her be in that tavern scene, you know, in that like Applebee's type setting. And then that would have been the end of her and let the mom really be like this hero towards the end. Like it almost lessened the mom's heroism because there was two of them, you know, and the manticore sort of like saved the day by flying there and providing the sword. I feel like if they'd taken her out, the mom could have had a bigger role. Yeah. And even to that point, her final role was literally a plot device to fly the mom to where she needed to be. So yeah, I I wasn't a huge fan, but nothing egregious like J.B. Smoove himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any movie has as bad as a J.B. Smoove as J.B. Smoove. So. That might be like a challenge to Hollywood. Don't put that out in the universe. <laughs> Sorry, I take it back. I take it back. Shout out J.B. Smoove. You're still hilarious in this current season <laughs> of Curb. Sponsor J.B. Smoove. But also sponsor us Alamo Drafthouse. Alamo Drafthouse sponsor us. <laughs> At Alamo, before they go into the credits, when they play kind of their found footage that relates to the movie. At my screening, they showed a bunch of footage of like groovy vans and like <laughs> vans with funny things painted on the side of them. So I thought that was pretty funny. Oh man, we didn't even talk about the van. Yeah, that was a huge moment of uh, self-sacrifice, Malika. I'm wondering if you uh, cried at that. Uh, oh, Sir Malika Crywatch. Yes, um, I did not cry at that, but I definitely felt the emotion. I was getting ready. I was like, okay, what else you got, movie? Give me, give it to me. But it was really that moment where Ian is like peering through like he's in this rubble and he's like peering through and he sees like the back of his dad and he's like he gave this moment to his older brother just so he could forgive himself oh my god my face was just wet I was just like weeping it was such an amazing moment and I was like yes this is what I wanted from this film you gave it to me yeah seriously that was the moment where Pixar came in and just like Punching the gut, and they're like, "Yeah, that's right. We're still Pixar, bitch." And you're like, you "Give me your milk me. money." You're like, you gonna cry? <laughs> that's what I thought. Yeah, that that moment got to me too. Like I said, speaking as someone that has an older brother exactly. and exactly. grew up without a dad, I was like, "You motherfuckers! <laughs> How did you know?" Oh god. No, and it was a really cool moment of self sacrifice by Ian. Like clearly throughout the movie. And seemingly throughout his life, Barley has sacrificed a lot of himself and his own goals and dreams and wishes to help Ian. And like for Ian to reciprocate that in that final moment to get him that redemption with his dad after not seeing him right before he died, like that was, ah, man, it's giving me chills now. That was a great moment. I love that. And it didn't feel forced. It felt really natural and deserved, which is really hard to pull off. Totally agree. Agreed. So guys, I feel like that's a really great segue into our final ratings. My rating is 3.1 missing van taillights out of five. You know, once again, it was good. I would recommend seeing it to people who are fans of Pixar. If someone isn't like a Disney animation Pixar fan, I wouldn't say, oh, this is the one you need to go see to really get it. But if you like Pixar, which I do, and you know, you like those emotional moments, Onward does have that payoff at the end. So I'd suggest go see it. I actually have a really similar rating. I'm going to give this movie 3.2 out of 5 enlarged cheese puffs. 
again, for the, a lot of the same reasons that Will has already said, I like this movie a lot. It was really cute, really fun. I love the emotional heart of it, but it's not something that I would tell people all go out in theaters to see, especially considering as we are recording this episode, we are smack dab in the middle of the old coronavirus uh, paranoia. So I think that kind of is also affecting the uh, box office because there was like about five people, including myself in my showing. And I don't think it's getting any better. But yeah, this is a good movie, but definitely something I think you can wait to see once it's streaming or for rent or something like that. I would give this movie who I'm trying to decide. I think maybe a 3.6 out of five Phoenix Stones, because I, as I said, I really enjoyed it, but definitely wasn't my favorite film, but I definitely saw that there was a lot of good moments in this movie and I was along for the ride the entire time. Just a final question for you guys. Where does this fall in like your Pixar movie rankings? I mean, obviously we don't have to rank all the Pixar movies, but like, which ones do you group it in with? Like, to me, it's obviously not in that tier of Ratatouille, Wally, Up, Inside Out, Toy Story. For me, it falls kind of around the middle, lower end tier of Cars, Monsters University, Brave. Like, not bad movies, not the upper echelon great movies. I would say it's somewhere between those two sets of movies that you listed. I don't think it's as bad as Cars, but I also didn't enjoy Cars. But, you know, obviously it's not the best of the the Pixar movies either. That's tough. Uh, Clay, what about you? Well, I'm a little gobsmacked at your kind of put down on cars which is like okay whatever. yeah cars is fine cars i mean is cars okay. if we're talking cars two cars three i'm like okay i'm not going to bat for those but cars cars I you just said it was the bottom of the pile and now you're piling on me no will said that no i said it wasn't the bottom of the pile it's above like the worst ones it's just kind yeah, of he, in like that will middling cars is mid-road pixar and i think it's a little bit better than mid-road pixar but it's not bad I agree in part that I think this movie can be lumped in with like Brave or maybe even Monsters University, which uh, funnily enough, that was the first Pixar movie that Dan Scanlon, the director of this movie, directed. So these are his two Pixar features. For Monsters University, I was just sort of like, I was already over Monsters. So I was just like, I don't need another one of these. It's just something I probably wouldn't necessarily watch again, but if it was on TV, I would might watch it. But whereas with The Incredibles, Toy Story, Ratatouille, I will sit my ass down and watch that for the 100th time laugh at every single joke again, cried every single emotional scene again, and feel like I can do it all over again the next day. And to me, that's what makes a great Pixar. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. And that's actually part of the reason that even though I did really enjoy this movie while I was watching it, the reason I didn't give it a higher score is that rewatchability in my mind was low. Like, do I ever need to see this movie again? Probably not. There wasn't any like super memorable lines that I'd want to quote or like scenes that I'm like, oh, I just want to watch that again. So I think that's why, like, even though in the first sitting, it's a great movie, it's not going to be in the Pixar Hall of Fame for me, at least. I think we're, we've all kind of come around to a similar viewpoint on this movie with Malika liking it a little bit more. But overall, I think we're all agreed. Malika, for those of you who don't know, has abandoned me and Clasia and she moved to New York. So we are doing this over Facebook video and recording separate audio streams and merging them. And shout out to Aaron, our wonderful sound engineer and producer. Aaron, you are a miracle worker. So thanks again. Yep. And you can follow him at ak.audio on Instagram if you want to see more of his work.
And follow us at CynicalPod on Instagram. All right. Well, that's all we have for today. Thanks again for joining. And until next time. Bye. Bye.